It's Barbenheimer. <laughs> so just to peek behind the curtain, Zoom didn't transmit any of what that was. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, so what I played was um, Barbie Girl. Uh, so it was just ah. her saying, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. And then uh, a clip from an atomic bomb test. I gotcha. Okay. That makes more sense because I, mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's what we have is Barbenheimer, folks. It's, we did it. We fucking did it. For you, for the fans at home, and also because it was fun, but... Yeah, it was six hours of sit. Of sit and, yeah, watch. Six hours Mm -hmm. of sit and watch. Sam, I'm dying to hear how your experience was, because yesterday, for some context, we watched Oppenheimer first, followed by Barbie, which is the correct order, for Mm -hmm. sure. Do not do this in the opposite direction. And what was intended... Um, obviously because they are one film. They are one film, yes. So we watched uh, So we watched the first part of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, the three hours, and then yes. uh, quickly sort of said goodbye so we could run back and eat some lunch and then run back to the movie post-intermission to watch the rest of the film. Uh, the two-hour chunk, the pink two-hour mm-hmm. chunk. Um, yes. And then immediately afterward, uh, we sort of left, and I didn't get to really say goodbye to you, so... Uh, no, because I I was about to piss myself. Yeah, yeah, you were rightfully urinating, so... The the end of the movie became a bit of a challenge run for your boy, because... I see. Um, I was like, I waited too long, so now we've gotten to a critical point in this film that I can't miss. Yeah. Uh, and I will if I go pee. So I got to hold it and hold it. I did, but I like blew past you in the lobby and just was like, (laughs) got to get to this turlet uh, and peed for a good long while. Felt good. It was nice. Nice. Uh, Yeah. So what was your cumulative? I mean, six because it's 30 minutes of previews and then five hours of movie mm-hmm. 30 minutes of previews again um at the second chunk so what was your six hour experience like so i was thinking about it and i think it was actually closer to um like eight hours total that i was there because mm-hmm. we got to the th- mckenna and i got to the theater parking lot around oh i don't know maybe like eleven fifteen. yeah or so yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, quickly scarfed lunch in the car in big, beautiful Hyundai Tucson. And then we went into the movie, and then we left the theater around 7 p.m., mm. 7.15-ish. Yeah, yep. So, so did a full work shift. Yeah. Um, <laughs> without yeah. leaving the theater. Yeah. Um, I will say, I was worried. I was worried going into this that it was going to be too much. Yes. And I was worried at this movie's bewildering hour and a half intermission. It's, yeah, I mean, it's enough time to, like, go to a sit-down restaurant. Yes. Which maybe is the intention of Barbenheimer, is to give you the chance to go away, process the first three hours... Mm-hmm. eat a really big lunch and then dive back into the remaining two hours it's 
it's odd because what we did was we stood around the theater for a minute, decided, no, we're, we're not going to play the arcade games because we don't have any cash. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sat in the big, beautiful Hyundai Tucson for an hour and a half. I was going to ask what you did because, again, I went home in the intermission. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, actually made a trip to Target to get some foodstuffs and then came mm-hmm. back. Okay. It was really tight, actually. The trip to Target was not advisable. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we ate lunch. So you just sat in the big, beautiful Hyundai Tucson for an hour and a half. Uh, yeah. I thought about leaving, but then mm-hmm. I thought, maybe I won't come back. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and honestly, had we done it in the in the reverse order, the way the directors did not intend, yeah. I don't think I would have come back. Yeah, probably not. Probably yeah. not. Um, so yeah, no, we just sat in the Tucson, uh, hanging out, cooling off, and then, uh, back into the theater we went, mm-hmm. uh, where, again, odd choice, they played previews again. Yeah, I mean, you gotta get that ad revenue where you can. Sure. You gotta make sure the I, theater's happy. I will say, very happy to note that, uh, the second half of the movie did not show Nuvi ahead of time yes we dodged maria menounos uh for a second time we did we did see her earlier yeah Um, yeah the first time uh they played previews we did in fact see maria menounos and i don't know why she wasn't there for the second half uh yeah maybe she's been uh sort of let go Maybe in the space between the mm. first showing and the second showing, in she that was, hour and a half, she was let go. And you know how, like, when you quit a job, mm-hmm. uh, and they like immediately lock you out of your computer uh-huh. and yeah. your email and stuff. Maybe that's what they did with Maria Menounos. They chopped all the footage immediately. Um, I like. I hope so because the other explanation is that they felt that. Thematically, it made more sense to have Maria Menounos before the first half of this film yeah. than it would be for the second, which makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. None. Yeah. None. Um, I will say during the intermission, I was very tired. Yeah. I was so tired, my guy. Uh, I had to fight not to fall asleep in the big, beautiful Hyundai Tucson. So comfortable is it? Yeah, it is a very comfortable vehicle, so... Um, but yeah, how was your sort of watch experience for this, uh, six hours of sit? Uh, turns out six hours of sit is fucking exhausting. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. (laughs) Cause we did the first half, um, Mm -hmm. the first three fifths. Um, and my dude, we went back, and I very seriously considered texting you and saying that I could not attend the last two fifths. But then I would have watched half of Barbenheimer. Mm-hmm. And spent, what, like $60 on tickets? Yeah, $70 yeah. total uh, mm-hmm. for the whole thing. It is an expensive movie to see Barbenheimer. Yes, so it, it is. it was, you know, roughly, uh, like... $22 a person times three plus taxes. Um, it's a lot. So, uh, I didn't want to do that, but God damn, I was tired. Um, mm-hmm. 
It wasn't particularly looking forward to the final two fifths, but we did schlep it back to the theater. Um, mm-hmm. And by the end of it, I just wanted to go home. That was clear to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to just like Irish. Oh goodbye. no, you're fine. Because because we um, well, we joined a kind of a larger group of friends. Yeah. For the the second half of the movie. And uh, when I went to pee, I was like, well, surely Luke will hang around. I'll get to, like, say bye to him. And I came out of that toilet a new man, Mm -hmm. first of all. Yeah. Uh, And uh, you you were nowhere to be found. Yeah, we were gone. And I learned later that uh, Kenna was like, oh, Luke said bye, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I felt bad because not only, because we joined this larger group of friends, I did not socialize a whole lot. Because um, mm-hmm. we had just watched three hours of movie, mm-hmm. and then had to sort of rush home and then rush back, and I was preparing myself mentally for another <laughs> two hours of movie. Um, right. And so I was not in a good headspace, and then by the end of it, I was even in an even worse headspace, mm-hmm. and was ready to just go home. Literally got home, and Rumi asked, "Do you want to watch anything while we eat?" And I said. <laughs> No, for once in my life, I would rather stare at a wall mm-hmm. standing because I've been yes. sitting. I did sit for six hours. Right. Uh, so that's what we did. We ate in silence and stared into the middle distance. Just Oof. happy that it wasn't a screen that I was staring at. That's grim. It's pretty grim. And then uh, I went to sleep. So I just. OK. So. I have, I have a handful of questions. One, yeah. did you find your ass hurt? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, those chairs are very plush, but man, they are not meant to be sat in for three hours and then also disappear for an hour and a half and then come back and sit in them again for two hours. Honestly, I think my back hurt more mm, than yeah. my ass did just because there there are reclining seats at the theater that we go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sort of recline all the way. So you can essentially be almost horizontal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that that position over the course of six hours, not quite fully horizontal, did sort of have an impact on my lumbar. Yeah. Yeah. I So I did not do the full recline because I was like, especially for the second half, because I was like, I am tired enough. Yeah. That if I do a full recline, I'm gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So no, I I I, I just kind of lifted the feet. Yeah, that's all. Nice. Um, th- my other question mm-hmm. is, when you returned from our again bizarre intermission, which I also want to point out that sort of like old direct flights, which are different from nonstop flights, we left the theater and then came back to a different one. Okay. Uh, and that was sort of strange because I, Luke, I don't know if you ever did a direct flight because they weren't very common. No. Back in the day, but it was like you would book a ticket from like say Little Rock to uh, Albuquerque, New York. Okay. Albuquerque, sure. <laughs> New York's and better. <laughs> so, so it would be one flight, um, one plane, but you would stop in a city. Where the plane would then take on more people. Oh, I have done these. Yes. Yeah. This was like a direct flight in movie form. Yeah. Absolutely. Where it was like, we stopped somewhere so the movie could refuel. 
Yeah. And then more people came onto our movie. Which was extremely weird because you'd think it would be the same group. Um, right. And actually, some people I ran into while buying snacks for the first movie, or excuse me, for the first uh, three-fifths of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, did say that they saw already the, the last two-fifths of the movie. Bad choice. Bad choice. They saw it in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um so that was really confusing to me because then they sort of pre-boarded the chunk of the yeah. flight and then just like skip lagged the, the rest of it. It's like they got on from like Dallas to Albuquerque and then somehow teleported to Little Rock. Yeah. And flew Little Rock to Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're like, we're here. Yeah. It was really confusing. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, so all that to say, my experience was, um, I think I had fun. Mm, yeah. But it was a lot of work. I think the problem, Sam, is that after three years of doing this, Mm -hmm. I have become conditioned to, there's a state of mind in which I think I have to watch this movie. Yes. Not, I'm choosing to watch this movie, I have to watch it. Mm Mm-hmm. Anything over two hours or approaching two hours, I have an allergic reaction to. Yeah, you have gotten really, really um, sensitive. Yes. To a longer flick. Yeah, movies should be an hour and a half. I don't know when that stopped being the standard. Now it's two hours. Yeah, and it's, it would be nice. Now it's too long. Uh, and in this case, watching six hours, excuse me, five hours of movies, six hours plus the previews with the previews. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, man, it was daunting. It was a daunting task. Okay, so so this was my other question. Yeah. Is during the bewildering intermission while the movie was being refueled. Yeah. When we reconvened, did you notice a change in me? Not particularly. Okay. Okay. I wondered if there was any sort of noticeable difference in who I had become. Well... Kind of, because I think you were in the same headspace as me, which is Mm -hmm. resigned to our fate. Yeah. We had to finish the movie, Barbenheimer 2023. Mm -hmm. Um, We had to finish it. There was no way out of it. We were both there at the gates, ready to do it. Tickets Um, already purchased. Tickets already purchased, but I, you know, yeah, there was a resignation in you, I think. Can I tell you? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. When... We finished the first three-fifths of the movie. Ken and I got in the car, sat down in the big, beautiful Hyundai Tucson, and I said, I don't know about this. <laughs> I do not know about this. Yeah. Um, for a couple reasons. Because one, it was grueling. Yes. Uh, the, the other is, a lot more people were doing this than I thought. Lots. Yeah. A lot of people. I kind of figured most people would be smart enough not to do this. Yeah. Not to hurt themselves with the movie. But a lot of people did. Yeah. Lots of people, because again, flying from here to Albuquerque, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, a lot of people in the stop in, let's say, Oklahoma City, Mm -hmm. uh, you'd expect them to, some people to get off. Sure. You know, because that's their final destination. Maybe the first three fifths of the movie. Nah, dude. Mm -hmm. Lots of people continued. A strange choice, to be sure. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I just... Now, could you have imagined if we recorded after? I... It would be a very different episode. It would be the lowest energy <laughs> recording we've ever done. Just miserable. Just two people mumbling into a microphone back mm-hmm. and forth. Not really having a conversation. Just sort like of... Like a... Avoiding eye contact. Yeah. Clearly fighting off sleep. Yeah. Just, you know, punching in, you know? Yeah. Putting in the time, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, Luke, would you like to break down the plot of 2023's Barbenheimer? Sure. So okay. the first three-fifths of the movie is a biopic of Oppenheimer. Uh, mm-hmm. The guy, Robert Oppenheimer, uh who made the atomic bomb or led the Manhattan project. And it sort of takes a look at his background, uh, and the, the process that led to the creation of the atomic bomb. And then a lot of the aftermath, uh, where he plays into the, the politics of arms control and policymaking. Uh, so yeah, that, that was sort of the first three fifths. Mm -hmm. The last two fifths is a hard turn. Mm-hmm. Um, very hard a very hard turn into uh, uh, a movie featuring someone called Barbie mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of pink uh, Barbie is a doll uh, and wrap your head around this one uh, people in the real world play with these dolls mm-hmm. with the Barbie dolls uh, and then there is Barbie world which is sort of like the platonic ideal of yes. these dolls and they all exist in Uh, their own world and uh, Barbie starts to experience thoughts of death and sort of foreboding which I think is an important through line in this yes yeah is a meditation on death yeah I think that um, you know in the first three-fifths they focus a lot on the death toll of the atomic bomb and the consequences Mm -hmm. and I think that blast is what really kicks off I know that they say it's the person playing with the doll in the real world that imbues Mm -hmm. Barbie with the sense of death. Um, But I think it's really the atomic blast, uh, the two atomic blasts in Japan, that really kickstart Barbie's uh, sort of walk down uh, an existential road. Uh, So Barbie and Ken, played by Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie, do go into the real world uh and then hijinks ensue there's a lot of talk about gender disparity like gender Mm -hmm. inequality um it's pretty brutal stuff which they didn't touch on at all in the first three-fifths of the movie weirdly no yeah it wasn't a theme it was really you know the first one's really more of a political drama with some some meditations on death and then the second, uh, the two-fifths of the movie that remain, really sort of focused on gender inequality and the experience of being a woman in our society. I mean, I think both do talk about, like, politics and society, because there's a lot of talk about, like, communism in sure. the first three-fifths. And I think there's sort of a progressivism, like a left-leaning yeah. sort of vibe to, to the, the last two-fifths. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, and then eventually, uh, you know, things are resolved in the Barbie world after the person playing with the, the Barbie doll and her daughter are brought into Barbie world. All of the Barbies have been brainwashed by the patriarchy. They fix that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a big speech uh, about being a woman. Um, things are resolved when they return Barbie world to being uh, a matriarchal society, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, some stuff happens with Ruth Handler, the creator of Barbie, sort of mm-hmm. Matrix style in a big white a little void. Bit. Uh, and then Barbie becomes a real human being uh, mm-hmm. and, and visits her gynecologist. And that's yes. the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. That That's how they summed up or, you know, finished. That was the finish line of Barbenheimer. Yes. Yeah. Luke, what'd you think? Oh, man. I didn't <laughs> think about what I'd say at this mm-hmm. section. Um, yeah. Because there is no good, there is no bad. How to sum up six hours of film in a single word? Um, Rocky. 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 Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I might be inventing a word. Okay, that's fine. Dichotomous. Dichotomous, indeed. Yes. 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 Yeah. I think because I was going to say ups and downs Mm -hmm. uh, for this experience. I like dichotomous a lot. Bifurcated. Does it it sound a little bit like a dinosaur? Yeah. Yeah. This is my uh, apatosaurus and my dichotomous. Uh, Mm -hmm. I love them both. Thank you, Jurassic Park, for giving them to me. Yes. Um, Um, Yeah. So to to go into the uh, there is good and there is bad. Yeah. Overall, eh? Yeah, I think so. Mm. As an overall, if if I have to take both halves into yeah. account, sort of an eh. Yeah, sort of an eh. I would agree. Yeah. Now, if we're going to talk about you know each each you know half. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take separately. It, let's take it up to the the. Let's take it up to the first intermission. What was what was your feeling leaving? Yeah. In that first intermission. Now, can I tell you something real quick? Yeah. It took me a long time to convince myself that Keanu Reeves was not going to be here today. (laughs) Or yesterday. Yeah. I had the same thought. Yeah. I was like, which which half is he in? And then it was neither. He's in neither. Oh, interesting thing about this movie, too, that we forgot to mention is that the first three fifths are a Nolan movie. It's directed by Nolan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the sum total flicks six hours. The first three hours is directed by Nolan. And the last two hours is directed by Greta, Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. So it kind of weird for a movie to it, have two directors. It reminds me of um, Grindhouse. Mm, yeah. That that double feature that uh, uh, the old, old foot guy, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, big foot did. fan Quentin Tarantino did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it was kind of like that. Um, also important, uh, none of the cast yeah. uh, b- breaches that divide. Yeah, there's no overlap in cast between none. Uh, the first 
sort of three fifths and the back two fifths. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, if we're just talking about you know up to the intermission, um, took me a while to kind of figure out how I felt about it. Sure. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, too long. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> far too long. Yeah. Um, what I liked about it was the bit about the Manhattan Project. Yes. Like developing the bomb, all of that. I thought that was pretty well done. Yeah. The, like, courtroom drama political thriller that was the last hour wasn't looking for it. Yeah. Didn't want it. Didn't want it. No, I think... I get... Okay. I'm a big fan of biography films. Mm-hmm. Biopics, biopics, whatever you want to call them. Um, big fan of the genre. Really like them. They gotta be tight. You gotta hit the highlights and the important pieces of someone's life. So I get that there's a part of uh, Oppenheimer's life where he is blacklisted essentially Mm -hmm. and marginalized despite being a war hero. But that being said, I don't think it should have made the final cut. No. And it's weird because like that last hour, it fully shifts perspectives to Robert Downey Jr. Being kind of the main character. Yeah, basically. I mean, he's essentially the end of the movie because Mm -hmm. he has a whole speech well, he's, tra- he's up for a, a cabinet nomination. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole lot of political maneuvering uh, centered around Oppenheimer and his treatment of Oppenheimer. And eventually he is not confirmed. And so right. the essentially the last pieces of the movie are him not being confirmed. And then we get a brief look at Oppenheimer talking to Albert Einstein. And that's that's yeah. it. So we do leave the movie with Oppenheimer, but only literally, not spiritually. I think spiritually the movie ends with R R D J. Yeah, yeah, and it's. Or excuse me, the first the first half of this movie ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course. Um, I. I also don't know that it was that effective of a movie. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, because. Okay, there's there's just some real weirdness in this first half of the movie because it um, it jumps around a whole lot to the point where it starts feeling disjointed. Oh, it's incredibly hard to follow, especially because so many of these dudes look like so many of these other dudes. Okay, yes. So I was talking with a friend who actually saw both the films the day before. Okay. Though... He had dinner in between the two. Oh, smart. Yes, smart. Um, and uh, he and I both were like, all these white dudes look the same. I thought Josh Peck played this like three different people. Yeah. Because they all look the <laughs> fucking same. Yeah, it's crazy because the cast is pretty stacked, but they've all, it's weird. A lot of the people like Josh Hartnett in this movie, um, Lawrence in the movie, the, the other okay, professor yeah. guy. Uh-huh. Um, everyone has sort of grown up. It's weird. They all look very different than they used to. Mm-hmm. And they've all sort of reached a singularity where yes. they look very similar. Well, and then it also doesn't help that every person 
except for like Robert Downey Jr. and Killian Murphy, completely underutilized. Yeah. Because you have big name people here. You've got, um, let's see, you've got Robert, uh, let's see, Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh, Matt Damon, um, Gary Oldman, mm-hmm. um, David Crumholtz. Yeah. Who the fuck else is in this? Uh, Josh Peck, David Hartnett. Josh Peck. Or Josh David Hartnett, Hart- excuse me. Josh, Josh Hartnett. Hartnett. Um, I feel there there are some other, like, heavy... Oh, Rami Malek? Rami Malek is here, briefly, for the briefest possible moment. Like, I think if you add up his time with Gary Oldman, it's 15 minutes. Yeah. If, if even. If even. And so, it's just, like, you have all these people who are just kind of drifting in and out of the movie. Yeah. Um, and, like, Why? Cause like, yeah. I so I was talking to to Kenna after the movie and talking about the how like I would just get kind of confused at times because it was so disjointed, and I was talking about the scene when, um, Killian Murphy is talking to Florence Pugh and telling her that he's getting divorced because he got Emily Blunt pregnant, and Kenna says they were never married. Yeah, they were never married. I see. Didn't know because it was. It just would jump around so much. Yeah, they're trying to do. They're trying to do what's right. They're trying not <laughs> to tell you. They're trying to show you. But they're not. But they're not, and they're cramming in a lot of detail. They're mm-hmm. they're really they're asking you very quickly to make a lot of assumptions and infer a lot of details about someone's life. Mm-hmm. Um, but to do it at a lightning pace. While we interject a whole lot of, like, flashbacks and flash-forwards. Right. Which, like, I know is, like, a typical Nolan thing. Yeah. The other thing that someone really needs to talk to Chris about. You, you have to f- change your sound mixing. Mm. You, you can't have the dialogue be the quietest part of your film. Sure. Um, because it becomes very difficult to understand what's being said when... Everything else that happens in this movie literally shakes your organs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I feel real bad for, for Florence Pugh because apparently they were like, hey, we want you in the film, but only for you to be naked. Yeah. A lot of nude scenes. And they've talked a mean game about the full frontal, extended full frontal between both Killian Murphy and Florence Pugh. Yeah, and this viewer, disappointed. Yeah. Because all we got were Killian Murphy's balls resting on a chair for a second. Mm-hmm. And that's, no one wants that. <laughs> yeah, and, um, yeah, a lot of Florence Pugh being fairly naked without mm-hmm. a lot of meat on those bones um, right not on her bones on the figurative storytelling yeah. bones not a lot for her to do yeah not a lot for her to do and here's the thing about Oppenheimer's womanizing mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a really good window into my major problem with the first three-fifths of this film mm-hmm. which is that a biopic is supposed to give you a detailed look we all know the history or you can go mm-hmm. onto Wikipedia and get the history What it's supposed to do is give you a very vivid look at someone's personality and, like, convictions and who they are as a person. 
Mm-hmm. And it was really jarring to me because at one point someone says, you're a known womanizer to Oppenheimer. And we mm-hmm. hadn't really seen that. No, we've seen him with Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh and then his then wife. Um, right. And their kind of rocky relationship. But then later, they reveal that he's been having an affair with the co-worker's wife mm-hmm. for years. And it's like, what? That would have been a it, like interesting yeah. detail to show us. Instead, we get a lot of RDJ uh maneuvering so yeah being mad about a time when uh oppenheimer made fun of him in front of a crowd yeah uh, which we cut to a lot Mm -hmm. and i feel like maybe just the one time would have been okay yeah just a quick callback um and one of those flash forwards would have been totally fine or flashbacks Mm -hmm. i don't know man um but yeah, it's too unorganized. I feel like if... Because this is what we were talking about as a group later. Comparing it to other Nolan movies, The Prestige, which we just watched, mm-hmm. is a tight movie. There yes. is no cruft on The Prestige no. Bones. Um, no. And that's what this one... And The Dark Knight, also really tight. Super mm-hmm. tight movie. Um, everything that's there is vital. And I don't think that's the case for this movie. No, no, or no. For no. This, this chunk of the movie. I will tell you. Last night, I did read a review of this movie. Yeah. Uh, by Drew McGarry, uh-huh. Uh, uh, uh-huh. writer that I like, uh, writing for SFGate. And um, one thing he pointed out that I actually hadn't noticed before, but I should have, is kind of weird to make a movie about the atomic bomb and talk about the horrors of the atomic bomb and not show a single Japanese face. Ah, yeah. Yeah? Like, after I read that, I was like, ugh. Yeah, well, we get these, like... Because, okay, frequently throughout the latter half of the first third fifth, three fifths of this movie. (laughs) Two, one fifth into the movie. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You get a lot of him imagining the destruction. Like, he'll be talking to people and he will see them, like, be, like, evaporated by an explosion. Or he'll feel the rocking of an atomic bomb Mm -hmm. blast. There's no reason in the world we couldn't have, like, more call-outs of the actual destruction that happened. Instead, it's pretty glossed over. It's like, yeah, we dropped a bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. There's even, um, there's even a scene where they're being shown, I guess, like, like a slideshow, basically. Yes. Of things that happened there. Yeah. We need to see that. Like, it, it would have been horrible. I'm not saying it wouldn't have, but we, the audience need to see that. Well, it would have reinforced the stakes because Oppenheimer's whole thing later in the in the last part of this chunk of the movie uh is pushing for policy changes to preserve arms control prevent Mm -hmm. an arms race and it would have really reinforced the need for that if we had a focus on the destruction because all you have in that scene is people like watching this slideshow and just like not even like reacting really strongly yeah, you just hear some like, like gasps and some yeah, uncomfortable sounds, but like seeing just like some squirming. Yeah, you're just like mm, like people adjusting, and it's just like that's not enough. No, you're not showing us enough. Yeah, to to really give us the stakes. Yeah, 
Um, and, and again, if, if you're trying to make this half of the movie, uh, like if you're trying to get the viewer to come away from this half of the movie thinking nuclear weapons are bad. Yeah. And we should not have them. You you have to you have to show the horrible parts. Yeah. Um, it's like in Chernobyl, the the miniseries. Sure. Like they show some rough stuff. Yeah. And you're like, fuck, nuclear energy is not like I like n- nuclear stuff is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or and this was uh, takes Saving Private Ryan. If mm-hmm. they had skipped, I both appreciate and hate that movie because it is so hard to watch yeah and that's by design and it should be because if you're trying to convey the horrors of war showing Mm -hmm. them you showing you the horrors of war is important (laughs) for that movie like if the d-day scene for saving private ryan had just been like a really close shot of tom hanks yeah and him just looking scared doesn't work anymore no it doesn't um so again disturbing and hard to watch mm-hmm. but very effective and gets across the point in a huge way absolutely and like i it's just it made it hard to like care about stuff sure later on in the film because it's just like i but there were parts where it's just like, I don't know why I'm supposed to care about this. Well, a huge chunk of the latter half of this half of the movie is um, <laughs> is Oppenheimer getting denied his security clearance. Who gives a shit about that? Yeah. And this like weird sort of like witch hunty mm-hmm. <clears throat> kind of like secret shadow hearing. Yeah, it's a kangaroo court sort of. But like. The end result is that he doesn't have a security clearance. Was he fucking using that? Yeah, we're not... And and they kind of vaguely reference, like, if he loses that, he loses his credibility. Why? Why? He's still the guy that made the atomic bomb. Yeah. And then there are other parts that, like, I kind of wish they had explained a little more. Like, I'll be perfectly honest, when they're assembling the, the bomb... Mm-hmm. They have all these like weird sort of octagonal or hexagonal bricks. Yeah. What are those? I don't know. Beats what, I would have liked to have known. Yeah, I would have liked to. Because again, if they cut the cruft and had focused, if they had focused 75% more on the Manhattan Project mm-hmm. and, and instead of this like witch hunt piece, would mm-hmm. have been way more riveting. Because oh, yeah. the best part of this movie is the bomb test. I don't know if you agree with that. But. Oh, oh, without it, because yeah. it is the tensest yes. thing, and which is wild, because like you know it works. Yeah, you know they don't blow up the world. Yeah, um, but like they do such a good job building the tension in that scene and yeah. drawing out this countdown, and it's so so well done that it made me mad that the rest of the movie was so kind of meandering and disjointed. And bleh. Yeah, because that should have been basically the end. Yes. It should have been the march. Cause, and then you could have bookended this movie or, you know, ended this movie with some... Honestly, give me a fucking photo reel, like a slideshow 
of some of the destruction that it caused. And then yes. maybe followed by a speech, one of Oppenheimer's speeches about arms control or mm-hmm. something. Bang. Done. Done. Done with the movie. Perfect. Perfect ending. And if we had focused a lot of the effort instead on, uh, you know, the Manhattan Project and that slow march and all the problems getting to. Mm-hmm. But instead we get stuff like they really, really want you to see that this is the beginning of the Cold War. The Cold War yeah. largely not very interesting because no. uh, without going into specifics about like spying and mm-hmm. like the space race or something like that, just like this began the cold war is not an interesting thesis. No. And then like they talk about spying a lot, but like they never mentioned the Rosenbergs. Yeah. Who like, didn't they spy at the Manhattan project? I don't know that if it was, it was at the Manhattan project. Maybe it was. Okay. Uh, I don't think it was, but around the same time period, for sure. Yeah. And then, like, when when they do reveal that one of the characters was a spy, it comes out of fucking nowhere. And it's not really dwelt upon. Like, no. It's just it's like, just oh, like, oh, yeah. oh, it turns out he was a double agent. He was a double agent. Yeah. I okay. Know. Yeah. Um, so, there are pieces of this movie that really work for me, mm-hmm. and then large chunks that I just feel adrift in. Yeah, and it's it's so aggressively dour, mm-hmm. which I mean, it has a right to be. Yeah. Um, and then what I will say is, I am glad I saw this in a theater. Mm. Uh, normally, I don't care about it, but the fact that particularly during the bomb test, that the sound design is done so well. Yeah. Um, that like you feel the rumble, like legitimately feel it, shaking you, and like. It makes it that much more powerful in a way that I don't think would have been as effective. No, it's um, it all. is mind blowing because that scene you see the explosion, the huge mm-hmm. mushroom cloud, and then you know it's coming, but you don't know when. Mm-hmm. Then the shockwave hits, and because you yes. see it in a theater, it really, like you said, does rattle your bones. Yes, uh, and you feel it in your body, and it's really cool. That was a cool scene. Really well done, um, but it felt like work. Yeah. Watching this half of the movie. Yep. Um, yeah, it did. Now, I do want to tell you just a fun fact. I watched, back in college, an opera about the Manhattan Project. Damn. Called Dr. Atomic. Okay. This sounds really good. <laughs> so so I will um, I will read you the, uh, the, the description of it, because I don't remember a ton of... I, I remember a couple things about it. Mm -hmm. Um, It is an opera by the contemporary American composer John Adams with libretto, that's the the words, um, by Peter Sellers. It premiered at the San Francisco Opera on October 1st, 2009, uh, 2005. The work focuses on how leading figures at Los Alamos dealt with the great stress and anxiety of preparing for the test of the first atomic bomb. Um, And so it's like... If memory serves, it takes a lot of writings from Oppenheimer's like journals mm-hmm. from the time and uses that in it. Yeah. I didn't even um, know he journaled. That I believe wasn't so, the, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't in this this half of the movie at all. Cause he and and again, it's been a been a minute since I uh, read about this. He was really into John Don, I believe the philosopher or 
Oh, God. I'm talking out of my ass here. Yeah. It's okay. Um, but, but yeah, I want to say... Mm-hmm. I want to say he, he did a lot of, like, writing about, like, philosophy Which would, about this stuff. I guess and it's... Like, yeah. And I was kind of looking for that. Because yeah. it, it had been such a big part of this opera. Also, I think you'd be interested to hear, like, what characters are in this opera. Sure. So it's Oppenheimer and his wife, uh, General Groves, Edward Teller, Robert Wilson, who I kind of don't remember. Yeah. Um, Frank Hubbard, also don't super remember. Captain James Nolan, and then Pesqualita. Don't know who the fuck that is. Yeah. Um, but a much smaller cast. Um, the The opera is all in English. Which is not a not a lot of operas in English. Yeah, we've talked about before off the podcast is is not traditionally a great language. No, for and opera. there's yeah, because let me tell you, this opera when I watched it sucks. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I took uh, so oh no to, kind of, to get off topic. So I took two uh, music classes in college from the same professor because he was an awesome professor. One was, um, let's see, uh, History of Jazz, excellent class. Sure. And Intro to Opera, also excellent. Um, Shout out to Dr. Krebs. And um, both of these classes, towards the end of it, you uh, were given either a jazz album or uh, an opera, and you had to just write a review of it. Yeah. For both of these classes... I hated the product that I had to review. I mean, I wrote like scathing reviews because one was for the jazz one. I forget the specific album, but it was like real synthy. It's probably some Chick Corea album. It was Chick Corea. Yeah. Yes. And I remember uh, that in my review, which I had to present to the class, I said it sounded just like porn music, like mm. low rent porn music. And it was so bad. And, like, let me tell you, the people in that history of jazz courts did not appreciate <laughs> what I had to say. But Dr. Krebs was like, yeah, he's not wrong. <laughs> I was like, fuck yes. Um, and then it was kind of the same thing with this. And I was like, I promise I do like opera and jazz, my guy. Yeah. I just hate these. Yeah, for sure. But, um, but yeah, I do believe, like, he journaled a lot, and I mm. don't know why that wasn't here. We could have pulled, that's what I was going to say uh, a second ago, is why not pull quotes from his life and intersperse yeah. his narrative with the movie, which is something you kind of traditionally do with biopics. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a wealth, if there's a wealth of source material that he wrote, or people wrote about him at first hand mm-hmm. stuff, then like fucking use it, man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Oppenheimer, John Don. Uh, okay. Let's see here. This is from the Los Alamos National Laboratory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was John Don, who was a poet. And apparently he was like. Yeah, two of his, uh, he, he loved literature, and two of his influences were John Donne and the Hindu scripture uh, Bhag- Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. which we do get that. Yeah, we do get that. Sort of, just the, the one quote. But yeah, um, 
was John Donne was one of his favorite writers and an inspiration during his work at the Manhattan Project. Why don't we get that, Chris? Mm. Why? Yeah, nothing. Not a fucking word about that. Mm-mm. Not at all. Um, let me see. Uh, I will say, Kenna Kenna briefly fell asleep mm. during this part of the movie. Um, Casey Affleck is here, and I'm pretty sure he's he? a rapist. Yeah. Where? He's the guy who's like the colonel who's like the communist hunter. Are you sure about that? Yeah. Okay. Because I don't That's remember Casey seeing Affleck. him in the cast list. Um, I think he's hidden because isn't he a rapist? I don't I do not know at I, all, my man. I think he was accused of some stuff. Okay. Could be. So couldn't figure out why he was here. Yeah. Um and then I do have a bit of a conspiracy corner. Ah, this is Casey Affleck. You're for sure. Mm-hmm. Sexual harassment allegations, for sure, for sure, for mm-hmm. sure. All right, it's not stacking up. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure before we. Yeah, no, I mean, look, we're putting this out there, so <laughs> we should probably <laughs> fact check ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Not great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, would you like to hear my conspiracy? I would love to hear your conspiracy corner. So, uh, Robert Downey, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, uh, forget his first name, Straws. Straws, yeah. Um, he uh, did not get confirmed to Eisenhower's cabinet as the uh, Secretary of Commerce, I believe. Yeah. And part of the reason why is there were a few senators who broke with the party. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. was a young... John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Sure. And as we know, Strauss uh, held a grudge uh, against even the smallest slight. Mm-hmm. And so I think what ah. he did <laughs> is that he spent the rest of his days, because I don't know when he died, but he spent the rest of his days getting close to an upstart Texan politician, Lyndon Baines Johnson, mm-hmm. convincing him that John Fitzgerald Kennedy needed to die. Yeah, absolutely. And so LBJ did end up killing JFK. Yeah, which we know is a yeah. fact. I mean, that's... Yeah, we all know it. Yeah. Um, Do you want to talk about the the last two-fifths of this movie, or do you have more thoughts about the, the first bit? I think we're pressed for time. It's time to move on to the I feel last. like for a super-sized movie like this, again, six hours of sit, yeah. Um, oh, it's going to be I, a long episode. I, yeah, I think we can go yeah. long. I don't know uh, that I have too much else to say yeah. about the first three-fifths, though. Um, other than uh, the casting is really solid, minus Casey Affleck, folks. Because, mm-hmm. um, uh, well, one, I think partially they made this movie because Nolan was like, anybody else think Killian Murphy looks exactly like Oppenheimer, who is a weird-looking <laughs> dude? <laughs> <laughs> so they cast him of course yeah. but um like david krumholtz is fantastic in this yes. movie so good uh the, whoever's playing albert einstein does a wonderful job very good job though um i don't know if i was just tired or what their final conversation i didn't i don't recall it at all yeah i don't either 
Yeah, it was unimportant. It didn't matter. But the movie was like, this is significant. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I'm tapped out. But anyway, it's just my point being that uh, pretty much everybody that's cast here. Minus Casey Affleck. Minus Casey Affleck. uh, If you look up who they're supposed to be playing, bears a striking resemblance to the people they're supposed to be playing. Someone made an article and compared the historical figures to the people playing them. Okay. Very like well cast. Damn. And then everybody's a world class talent, so that's mm-hmm. uh, that was phenomenal. Um, yeah, dude, that's that's basically all I have to say about yeah. this business. So um, let's take I don't know, like an hour and a half intermission mm-hmm. in this episode, <laughs> and then we'll come back. Yeah. And talk about the the last two fifths of the movie. We'll record the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go eat some lunch. Yeah, sounds good. You just eating lunch at, at your desk? Oh, are we really doing this? No, God, no. Jesus. Okay. Or <laughs> <laughs> something, maybe you'd get up. Oh, no, I'm too lazy for that. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Th- uh, the last two-fifths of this movie. Yeah. Big, big tonal shift. Totally tonal. Yeah, I mean, again, suddenly it's about a, a, a doll named Barbie, mm-hmm. which is, you know, totally new to me. This is... Yeah, it's it's all pink, very saturated. Yeah. Um, what do you think? This one's hard. This one's hard, huh? Yeah, this half of the movie is hard. Because here's the thing: I feel like large chunks of this movie are not meant for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they have you're a, not not a woman. I'm not, not a, a woman. Not a mother. I'm not a mother. They don't. There's messages here that are clearly intended for me to hear and not Mm -hmm. speak upon. Um, Mm, Yeah. I do not really. I'm not entitled to an opinion on large chunks of the themes of this movie. Sure. uh, Because it ain't meant for me. So uh, this movie was wildly different. Or this half of the movie was wildly different than I expected. Yeah. 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 I, I had heard nothing about this half of the movie at all yeah nothing they, um, they kept it pretty quiet yeah and i hadn't read any reviews hadn't didn't know anybody who'd seen it until we watched it finished the finished up after the intermission and uh wow it was wildly different uh mm-hmm. way heavier than i was expecting yeah. um i guess it's not true that i hadn't heard anything because you see these ryan gosling interviews where mm-hmm. he's talking about kenergy and really inhabiting the space of ken Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> man, <laughs> it's a different space mm-hmm. than I was expecting. Yeah. Um, so I don't. I'm still undecided. Sam, what did you think? Loved it. Really? Okay. I fucking had such a blast. Nice. In this in this part of the movie, um, I honestly I found this to be the infinitely better part. Really. Of, of Barbenheimer. Okay. Um. You know me. We've watched movies together. I'm not a big laugh out loud guy. You're not. You're also traditionally not a. If it doesn't march a straight ahead like the hunt for Red October, you're usually not on board. You're not a fan of no, the surreal. I, I can enjoy. <laughs> God damn it, Luke! I can enjoy a different movie. 
Okay. There are movies that I like that are that are uh, unconventional, mm-hmm. that aren't just straightforward. <laughs> I I contain multitudes, Luke. Sure. Yeah, you're I can love a dad it. flick. I can enjoy, I don't know, fucking... I'm trying uh, to think of something. Yeah, Barbenheimer. Uh, Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. Yeah. Sure. Uh, or, fuck, Prestige, I guess. I don't know if that counts as... No. No. That was pretty straight ahead. Yeah. I'm trying to think of movies that are a little more out there, but I can't think of any right now. Anyway. Uh, Schindler's List. I mean, it's straight ahead, but it's a real different vibe. But I, I can appreciate that flick and, like, not, like, enjoy, enjoy, but... Sure. You know what I mean. Sure. Uh, fuck, man, I like opera. Yeah. So, anyway, I contain mm-hmm. multitudes, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I'm for an sure. enigma. Um, that you are. Can I say? Yes. <laughs> I never know what you're going to say. Sometimes we'll watch a thing and I'll be like, I'm pretty sure Sam's going to hate this, or I'll be like, I'm pretty sure Sam's going to like it. Sometimes. Other times, mm-hmm. like this, the second half of this movie, couldn't have called it. Had no clue. No. My guy, I laughed so fucking hard. Nice. It, like, the jokes landed so well for me. I had, like, I was constantly laughing, busting up in a big, big way. Yeah. Like, good body-shaking laughs. Yeah. Um, I, I loved it. And, like, unlike in the first three-fifths, I don't feel like there's a wasted shot here. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. This feels really concise. Now, what I will grant you, and this is what Drew McGarry pointed out, this is an ad. Oh, yeah. It's just a <laughs> well, it's a two hour long ad. Not only is it an ad for Mattel's Barbie, which again mm-hmm. is a weird shift to do a whole movie about, or excuse me, a whole like first half of the movie being about the atomic bomb, and then the mm-hmm. second half being an, a, a Mattel ad. Uh, mm-hmm. It is also a huge ad for Chevrolet. What? I mean, <laughs> I, so that's the wild thing is I was really expecting, you know, the, the Barbie, you know, product placement. Yeah. Was not expecting Chevy to feature so heavily. There's a fucking scene where they're in a car chase and then somebody manipulates the smart car dashboard. Mm-hmm. They're they are this close to going. And the new Chevy Blazer, you can turn off the music yes. with the tap of a button. Usually movies go through pains not to show you the make and model of the car. Yeah. This is not, <laughs> this one, is of not one of them. This is one where it I'm like kinda quickly, but definitely slower than a lot of other shots. G- slides past the Chevy Blazer. Yeah. Uh, on the back of this again, kind of beautiful vehicle. Would yeah. I buy a Chevy Blazer? Fuck no. No. But it's a good-looking car. It's a good-looking vehicle. Yeah. And if it's good enough for America Ferrera. Yeah. You know. This is a thousand percent an ad, though. This is this oh, is pro- yeah. it's pink propaganda. Yes. Uh, yeah, pink lace propaganda. It's such a well-made ad. Yeah. And it's, it's just so like, um, unapologetic. Yeah, that's a it, good word it, for it. In a way that that I really respect. Yeah. Um, it is it is unapologetic about um the humor that it makes, like there are extended jokes about beaching people off. Yeah. And like again, I thought this was going to be more of like a kid friendly film, and it is not. It is not. I would say. It's not um, aimed at kids like at all. 
No, but you would imagine a movie called oh. Barbie. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm saying, be. I'm with you. I'm saying it, yeah, I would have expected it to be. It is yeah. not. It, the, no. Even the message here is not for kids. Yeah, um, and it's unapologetic about its stand on, like, gender uh, politics, uh, I, shit, just, like, social politics in general. Sure. Um, and I don't know. I think it has some, some really awesome things to say. And I, I got, I did not cry, but I got verklempt. Oh, verklempt. Verklempt. Okay. <laughs> Damn. When's the last time that happened to you in a movie? Uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, probably. Uh, yeah, that's been Ooh, a minute, uh, man. Actually, no. Honestly, probably either Hardball or um, Chirac. Mm, really? Which was, you know, for, for, for the other product. For the other product. Yeah, the other podcast. Um, but, um, but no, Hardball. hardball yeah, definitely. Hardball was tough. Yeah, yeah. it was a tough And one. Chirac, too, I mean, was really tough. Yeah, very times. true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like, I would put this on the same level as like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in terms Damn. of like, I think how effective its message is and yeah. like how much it lands for me at that time. Yeah. So. Absolutely. I think that's fair. Yeah. Because I, uh, at least amongst our group, not a lot of dry eyes. Yeah, really got my wife this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I got her real good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah. No, I like, I ended up not taking many notes at all. Sure. Um, just because I was, I was so engrossed. Um... But it's also, I don't know, there's something about it that I thought was just, like, really cool in how how it was done because, like, all the props, I don't know, it felt very, like, thought through. Yeah. And that, like, all the props look like props, but in, like, a, a fun way. Yeah, actually, it's a good point that um, about both chunks of this movie, the movie as a whole, something we can actually say about the, movies, the mm-hmm. movie as a whole, I don't think there's maybe there's a little cgi in the back half there's not a lot no and in the first half there's no cgi there's not a single cgi shot this makes both halves of this movie the entire movie look fantastic so good and will age beautifully beautifully yeah yeah do practical effects folks practical effects are where it's at barbenheimer will stand the test of time Mm -hmm. as uh looking just great yeah yeah so so you're not you did you did the humor land for you or was it just like tell tell me where you're at i don't know i'm still parsing this movie Mm -hmm. um the themes made me very uncomfortable as designed because you because you hate women because I hate women. No. Yeah. Um, no, kind of the opposite. Because I am a diehard feminist. Um, <laughs> a lot of this was like... They point at a lot of things in the patriarchy that mm-hmm. suck. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of this movie that I'm like, yeah, that blows. That's that's definitely a really shitty thing that happens to women. Mm-hmm. Um so I spent a lot of the time being preoccupied by just parsing through. Yeah, no, this these things suck. And being a woman mm-hmm. is basically impossible, as yes. they say in this movie. Um, 
So yeah, but then there's there's a lot of content in this part of the movie that is aimed at. It's got a message specifically for women. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I don't feel like I really get to play in that space. Not that I should. This isn't me being right, Ben Shapiro yeah. saying like, "Well, this movie wasn't made for men." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it it just wasn't meant for me. So I don't have. Um, a lot to say about the themes other than mm-hmm. they definitely like pointed a lot of things that are genuinely horrible. Yeah. Um, and it made me very uncomfortable to think about masculinity mm-hmm. in this context context. Not that there's really any good side to masculinity. Um, I, I would push back against that. Okay. I, I think you cannot say that masculinity as a whole is negative. Hmm. Um, I think the the way we typically see it, sure. Sure. But I, I think there are good examples of masculinity mm. uh, around. I, I think there is, just like you can have, like, TERFs. Sure. Um, I, I think, you know, like, like both can be performed, if, we, if, if you'll allow me, uh, in, in healthy and unhealthy ways. Sure. You know, the... Like, obviously, toxic masculinity is much more of a thing. But, like, there are positive ways to be masculine. I'll give you Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers is a great example of positive masculinity. Mm -hmm. That's a true alpha male right there. People don't say it enough, but Mr. Rogers, true alpha male. (laughs) Oh, uh, true alpha male, yes. (laughs) But, no, so, so, um... I would not write off the whole of masculinity as like that as a concept being purely negative. Sure. Um, because I, I think that I think that actually ends up doing a disservice to, to I it's it's something I kinda of think about a lot uh, through work, which I won't talk about. Yeah. Um but I think if you don't show an example of a, a good way to be masculine and to be a man. Yeah. That you only then provide opportunities for toxic masculinity. That's fair. And like positive male role models, I, I think are really important um, and few and far between. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's something that, that I feel pretty strongly about. Just, yeah, that's uh, fair. Yeah. Um, Cause it, my, my last part, yeah. Is that for many things, we men are the problem. Yeah. Uh, for most things. For most maybe things. Maybe all of them. Throughout history, yeah. Yeah. And we can't expect women to fix it. Yeah. Uh, it, not in that I think they are incapable of it, more than capable of it. It would be a disservice to say, women, you fix it. Yeah, well, I think um, a good example of what you're saying, uh, Taika Waititi recently gave a speech somewhere. Mm-hmm. I don't remember where it was, uh, but it was making the rounds on Instagram, so I ran into it. And the gist is that somebody asked him, how do you feel about diversity and inclusion as far as Native voices go, Indigenous voices, and how do we fix it? And he got really mad, really mm-hmm. justifiably, because he said, don't look to me to fix it. You fucked up. You're the ones who came and stole the land and suppressed the voices. And now that Mm -hmm. I have a seat at the table, everyone, you like to think that you've you've solved the problem or we're on the route to fixing it. 
Um, that's not on. Don't. Add, it's like burning someone's house down. I think is what he said. And then saying, well, now you get to rebuild your house and we'll be here to help you. But if you do it wrong, we'll burn it down again. Exactly. Um, so I think to your point, it is not on women to fix it. Um, no, we yeah. have to take ownership of of the genuine harm yeah. that we've done. Yeah, and acknowledge the and, harm and make corrective measures. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and I think the only way to do that is to, again, perform masculinity in a much more positive way. Sure, that's fair. Um, so, so yeah, that is our earnest part. Yeah. Extremely earnest. <laughs> dumb podcast. I think it's a really good earnest part. That was really informative and helpful. Uh, I did have a lot of fun with this movie to pivot mm-hmm. back. Uh, yeah, I think this just, it, it felt like a really easy watch. I it was. Know. Yeah. It was really easy, uh, outside of the parts that made me uneasy, but were designed mm-hmm. to make me uneasy. Yes. So. I think one of my favorite parts is Alan. Uh, oh, God. It, Michael Sarah being Michael Sarah. Because here's what we said later. Uh, they had to cast Alan, which is Ken's nondescript friend, just mm-hmm. like generic friend person Alan. Mm-hmm. Who do you cast? It's Michael Sarah immediately. That's like 10 the times person. out of 10. Yeah. yeah that's who you pick. <laughs> we need a generic dude mm-hmm. who's just going to vibe and be kind of G- awkward. Importantly, generic, non-threatening dude. Non-threatening dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another part of this, too, that my roomie pointed out to me, and I adore. Because mm-hmm. uh, I will say, gay representation in this movie is pretty slim to none. Um, with the exception of some gay actors being here. Kate McKinnon's mm-hmm. on board. That's fun. Uh, but there is one guy, and he mm-hmm. is a canonically gay Ken because mm-hmm. Sam. There's their earring Barbie shows up at the weird Barbie yes. house. Gay icon Ken. Gay icon, uh, or sorry, excuse me, earring Bar, uh, earring Ken. In the original run of these, they based them on ravers at the time, gay ravers. And do you know what's yeah. hanging around his neck? No. It's a cock ring. <laughs> <laughs> so I, what what some friends were telling me after is that like, um. At the time, people were like, Ken's really not cool, and Mm. we need to make a cool Ken. And so they were like, okay, we'll make a cool Ken, and we'll give him one earring. Yeah. Um, And that he became a gay icon. Yeah. And that it was the best-selling Ken of all time. Yeah, I'd believe that. Yeah, and in the original run, you know, they again, they just based it on gay ravers at the time. Mm -hmm. Which I love that someone either (laughs) didn't know or really knew. And we're like, I cool, love huh? The idea of some like straight laced white dude was like, yeah. these guys seem pretty cool. These guys seem righteous. <laughs> these uh, guys are cool as hell. <laughs> so he went down to the Eagle and found uh, these guys. But yeah, in the original run, he's got a necklace, quote unquote, that is literally just a cock ring. And I don't love know it. if either, like you said, it's some straight laced exec who didn't realize mm-hmm. or someone snuck it under the radar. At the Mattel company and uh, got him to mass produce guys wearing cock rings and one earring. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's phenomenal. Love that he's in this movie. Yes. Um, yeah. No, I had a really good time. Uh, and the aesthetic is fucking on point. So good. And it's just, I don't know, it's really fun. So like there's the, the Ken battle scene. 
that I thought was just so fucking fun. Mm. Um, just really well done that turns into just like a synchronized dancing. A synchronized dance to like 80s synth pop. Yes. Yeah, it, it was the, phenomenal. The music is really good mm-hmm. and adds to a lot of the humor. Um, I don't know. It's one of those movies kind of like The Burbs where I feel like I could watch this a lot and find something new every time I watch it. Yeah. It just felt very densely packed. Yeah. It was It was a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, do you want to get out of here? Yeah, I guess it's about that time, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Um, well, folks, thanks for, for being members of the patron, uh, Patreon. You you let us do dumb shit like this. Yeah, thank you. Um, love, love that we get to do things like spend eight hours in a movie theater uh, for you. And, uh, yeah, so, so thank you all. A special shout-out to um, Hanks' Heroes. That's uh, Tuck and Daniel. And, yep. fellas, I won't nuke you. Oh, ho, ho. Yeah. That's You're a, welcome for that's that. That's a good one. Yeah. That's you, a good one. You want that guarantee. You want it. Because I, I have them. You got them. Got them yeah. locked and loaded. Yeah, I do. Uh, Luke, do you have a final quote? I do. It's actually not verbally said, mm-hmm. but okay. it is on Ken's sweater, and it says, I am Kenuff. Excellent. Yeah. Love it. Pretty good. Fantastic. Well, folks, thanks for listening to another episode of Hanksy Panksy Patreon. We'll be back sometime. 